Welcome back to another edition of the Quantum Cast. Today we're going to be looking at drawdowns as some examples, but first we have to actually define what drawdowns actually are. So to put it simply, drawdowns account for how much a position is down in percentage terms from its peak to trough price level. So we could give an example of a drawdown. Say you have an investment and it falls in value from £10,000 total to £6,000 in value. The drawdown here would basically be 40% because a drop of 40% from 10000 would take you down to £6,000 in value. Whether or not it's in pounds, dollars, yen, it doesn't matter. But the magnitude is what's important. So let's just say that same investment had closed at £8,500 on a random day in between the period that's being measured. So let's just say you're measuring from January to end of February, start of January to end of February would be an easy way to look at and say at the end of January, the price closes at £8,500 in terms of like your portfolio's value, your total value of say your investments. You don't have your drawdown affected because if 6,000 is the lowest, the trough level, then you still have had a maximum drawdown of 40%. But the difference between the 10,000 and the 8,500 would be a drawdown of say 15%, which is something different. We must therefore establish the difference between maximum drawdowns and just drawdowns themselves. Drawdowns go up until the period that you're quoting and maximum drawdowns basically account for the greatest drawdown within a given data set. And usually these data sets are actually quite large because if we're looking at max drawdowns for say particular strategies, let's say one more mention in a bit, the 60-40 investment strategy, then we're going to be looking over a long period such as, I know, 100 years, something along those lines. Two very familiar names to those who are interested in economics and finance. Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky. These guys had actually carried out some behavioral research studies on drawdowns and they noted that drawdowns are actually physically painful for investors and demonstrates that people hate losing money much more than the happiness gained from similar gains. Now, a common example of investor weakness could actually be shown through Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky's study in 1979, where they had analyzed specifically the emotional strain on investors holding assets through long periods of underperformance relative to other assets. This idea of relative underperformance seemed to have a greater burden on investors than them just simply delivering negative returns. If you're doing worse than everybody around you, it hurts more than everybody doing badly and you're doing about the same. A lot of the time, relative underperformance hurts. It's the same thing of if you have an area of people who are in a lower decile in terms of wealth, let's say GDP per capita is much lower, yet someone who's at the higher end of that particular decile that we've taken out is definitely wealthy in their community. Somebody at the lowest end is definitely poor. That is, of course, relative to the people around them. And this whole underperformance idea is really important in the modern day. The fact that it still holds ever since the idea was emphasized in 1979 is really important. And as we kind of just noted, 
investors must place a great emphasis upon the duration of drawdowns in different assets. Let's just say those who have a lower appetite for risk would actually be encouraged to steer clear of investing in assets that experience long drawdown periods. And on the other hand, those who behold a greater appetite for risk would likely prefer assets of which experience relatively long drawdown periods, those of which they could potentially swing trade to make some value. But we must remember that quantifying an archetype or otherwise known as an average or like a simplistic model to show say a drawdown period in this case is highly subjective. And so we should probably look at a comparison between different examples of say asset allocation strategies or just investments in general and how over time you can compare the size and lengths of drawdown to eventually determine the level of risk for either a potential strategy or an investment or whatever you really prefer. But if we talk about the asset allocation side, a lot of investors look at their portfolios as a result of its individual components. Well, by considering the size of maximum drawdowns, investors can actually redirect themselves towards strategies with smaller maximum drawdowns. This will enable investors such as ourselves to actually avoid larger maximum drawdowns, which is wonderful. If you can avoid maximum drawdowns, in a sense, you can help yourself be mentally prepared to manage your portfolio. It's a really contradictory thing because a lot of the time investors are talking about avoiding emotion. And that is something we definitely agree with. But with the whole idea of drawdowns and trying to reduce your max drawdown, you're reducing the not only the size of what you have to deal with in terms of your max loss through say, if you're a long-term investor, but you're also reducing the period of which you have to deal with it. Because imagine being down, I don't know, 68% in your portfolio for two years, and then compare that to five years, compare that to 20 years, it would hurt a lot more. You know, in the Great Depression period, a lot of investors wouldn't have likely held on to their shareholdings. A lot of people look back and say, wow, if you held one share of Facebook in 19, I don't know, whatever, when they were first listed, or one share of, I don't know, Amazon when they were first IPO'd. Well, it's very unlikely that people would have held shares in those companies because they had experienced very large maximum drawdowns. These companies could be down 80% in comparison to peak to trough. And a lot of people are more likely to buy. Statistics show that you're more likely to buy towards the all-time highs than towards the all-time lows. Because towards the all-time lows, there are a lot of things happening in terms of negative sentiment, risk of defaults, liquidation, and humans are naturally loss averse. We'd rather cut a short-term small loss than ride out our winners because it makes us feel sick, doesn't it? It's that one feeling that a lot of traders in our community can't get rid of a lot of the time. Some people refer to them as biases, but a lot of the time, it's actually within the things at our disposal. We could be making use of quant tools and a wonderful tool for us to make use of on drawdowns. We mustn't avoid these, but a lot of the time, by understanding the historical movements in terms of price action of a stock will actually help us to improve the practicality of our trading methods and also improve our results in action, which is wonderful. And I think drawdowns is one of the most underrated areas of quantitative methods in investment. 
What would now be a good idea is to give an example of drawdowns in practice and how it can help us understand particular investment methods. We had a couple of episodes based off investment returns, but we also looked at asset allocation strategies. And whilst we'll go in detail on those later on in future episodes, we're going to look at the 60-40 strategy in terms of its drawdowns, not particularly on its results or any parts of the composition. But what we should talk about is that a 60-40 portfolio has 60% of its exposure to equities and 40% of its exposure to bonds. So we're talking bonds that uh, we could use an example. 60% of your investment in equities could be in the S&P 500. And the 40%, so your bond exposure, could be in intermediate term US treasuries. Those give really low percentage returns in comparison to equities, but they have low risk. And the whole point of using a 60-40 portfolio would be to achieve equity-like returns with bond-like volatility. If we look at some of the drawdown data through summary statistics provided by AllocateSmartly.com, we can see that the maximum drawdown of this 60-40 investment from 1969 to 2019, or more particularly in months, right? 1969 December to September 2019, the maximum drawdown was minus 29.5%. And that was achieved in February 2009, so just after the financial crisis, or more so at the depths of the financial crisis. So this drawdown had lasted 40 months. So it was basically from uh, the beginning of the financial crisis to the end of it, of where we saw one of the greatest bull markets in history. And that strategy that we just mentioned, the 60-40 investment strategy, is based on a static portfolio. So you don't ever change a optimal allocation. If it goes up in terms of portfolio valuation or down, all you do is change your allocation based off your weighting. So you could be changing it yearly, you could be changing it monthly. I mean, it's best to backtest all of those things. But uh, in terms of drawdowns, we can't really find anything worse. Maybe 1974, the energy crisis, that had a drawdown of around 27.5% to the downside, obviously, minus 27.5%. Uh, that was in, was in 1974, and it was severe inflation following the 1973 energy crisis. That's probably one other area. But other than that, we probably have two or three other data points of drawdowns around 18%, 21%. But other than that, everything's below 12 11 11%, which is decent. You're not really going to be dealing with large drawdowns if you're holding a 60-40 based portfolio. It has a risk-adjusted return rate of 0.48. It's not that great, to be honest, but for not really doing anything, just following a basic system, a lot of the time, these days, everything can be represented algorithmically. You won't have to do anything. It would be amazing. But a lot of people would actually argue, by using a 60-40 investment portfolio, you're reducing your returns. Why do they say this? Well, they look at the historical bull market, the largest historical bull market in history, from 2009, February-ish, to right now. And they say that if you held a fully equity-based portfolio, then you'd make a lot of money. And in terms of returns, you could see nominal returns of up to 10.5 to maybe even 
14% a year, and that compounded return does you really well. Let me just pull out my calculator and give a brief example. Okay, we'll use a base index number of one, and you make, I don't know, let's say 14% a year, and we just extrapolate this over 40 years. Well, you've made 179 times your money. That is a lot of money to be making. In terms of returns, it's great, but obviously we have to look at real returns. If we go back and we use that same 40-year period of, say, 7% a year in terms of real returns, which is quite a high expectation, but let's just say that occurs for 40 years, you're making 14 times your money. That's decent, not near as high as the 188 odd times your money, but still, it's much better than putting your portfolio in a 60-40 strategy setup because you're not getting decent risk-adjusted returns, but on the bright side, you're actually dealing with lower drawdowns. So emotionally, for normal investors, those who aren't able to master the craft of handling with their emotions, well, maybe using strategies like this could be better than just keeping your money in specific assets and effectively setting yourself up for huge losses. That's one thing we could probably look at. With drawdowns, we'll probably cover them in a couple of episodes and we'll look at some strategies in the next couple of episodes. But what we could probably note before we leave, the 60-40 strategy actually turned $10,000 in December 1969 to $923,238, just for the sake of being exact, dollars in September 2019. That's a decent return of basically 90 times, 92 times your money or so, which is very, very impressive. But the drawdown is still not as low as, say, 10%. But to get a 10% max drawdown, your returns will reduce significantly. So the beauty of investment strategies with relation to drawdowns is we have to try and reduce our drawdowns as much as possible so that we won't be dealing with higher losses. But a lot of professional investors will argue that if you try and reduce your drawdowns, there could be a point. Imagine a Kuznets curve, if anyone's heard of it. It's like a curve where you get to a point where spending can actually help the environment and then it will lead to degradation because you're spending so much or so much economic activity is occurring. Growth, basically. Uh, well, you can get to a point where you're trying to reduce your risk so much that you're effectively reducing your reward by more than the risk that you're reducing, which is ugly. And in the long run, it doesn't help investors at all. But thank you so much for listening. I've been your host, Ryan Kier of quantumresearch.co.uk. If you haven't already, please do sign up on our website and feel free to have a look through any of our previous episodes. We'll be back in a couple of days with another episode. We'll look more into drawdowns, but once again in action across some other strategies. And we could probably mention some of the strategies we mentioned before with a greater emphasis on drawdowns. Thank you so much for listening. I've been your host, Ryan Kier. Until next time.